0: This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Paul Glover constantly puts the wants of his clients over his own. To shore up his own needs, he vows to let go of self-destructive ways and to turn the tables using his no-B.S. coach approach. Hi, Paul. Good to see you.
1: So, we all the same.
0: Excellent. So, what would you like coaching on today?
1: You know something? uh, I find that that I, like so many uh, others, uh, are not attuned to self-care. Uh, We get so tied up in our business, in our our daily lives, that we forget that we need to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others. And that to me is something that most business leaders also suffer from. Uh, And we always talk about uh, leaders should be the example. And in my coaching practice, I continually tell people that they need to self-care and make sure their team knows about it. But curiously, in my own life, I have a tendency to ignore that. Uh, by, by the way, we always ignore our own advice, don't we? Yeah. I, I have no problem telling other people what they should do. But when it comes to what I do, then, uh, then I have blind spots. And one of them is I believe that, uh, that I, I'm just invulnerable, invincible, and I can just roll on, take care of others, and never take care of myself. So that's the issue that I'm dealing with.
0: Mm, Great. So what I heard is about sort of this concept of self-care and taking your own advice that you dole out to others. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So what would be a fantastic outcome for today?
1: Uh, Actually, I guess more awareness of first the need for self-care, but second, perhaps some some suggestions about what that should mean. Mm,
0: So the need for self-care and suggestions. Mm
1: Mm-hmm okay so when you think of let me let me tell you i've got the basics down i realize you you should get more sleep you should get exercise and you should eat correctly and i don't do any of those
0: okay so more sleep exercise and eat correctly out of those three which one is the top one that you do the least
1: do the least is probably sleep
0: sleep okay so what what's a typical sleep day for you
1: probably four hours
0: four hours have you always been able to function that way
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's a habit. And uh, I developed it and have not been able to overcome it, even though I read all the research about the need to do an ample amount of sleep. Uh, and the problem is, of course, I think I function well. It's a blind spot because I think I should, f- I could function better.
0: Mm. So in the four hours of sleep that you get, are you refreshed and relaxed?
1: I'm never <laughs> relaxed and, and I wake up tired, uh, uh-huh. but I can't sleep. I, I've not been able to readjust my pattern. Mm.
0: So is the sleep more about things on your mind or just not feeling like you need the sleep?
1: No, always things on my mind. I can't mm. shut it down.
0: Mm. So the things on your mind, where, where, where's the origins of that?
1: Uh, first, it's anything that, that the professional aspect of it, because I am a coach, uh, I am always dealing with somebody else's issue and trying to find that uh, approach, not solution, but approach for me to coach them and hopefully help them find the solution It uh, doesn't ever go away. Uh, and it's, my mind is just busy. And then the personal issues that, uh, that, that I deal with with my family uh, are, uh, have been, because I have a, a child, 40-year-old child, and, and I tell everyone, you're never not my child. Uh, and, and, uh, and so we've been dealing with that for over two years, trying to find a, a replacement kidney. Thank God that's been resolved. But yeah, we added to the mix uh, it's about a. It's a daily concern. It never goes away.
0: Mm, it's a daily concern, and it never goes away. When you think about all that sort of ruminating in your mind, are there other parts of your body that are feeling any type of tinge of any kind?
1: Uh, any type of tinge. Uh, I've got a 70-year-old body. Believe me, <laughs> there's there's plenty of tinges. Uh, but no, nothing in particular. I mean, I don't. Uh, I, I'm a believer in massage. Uh, so I do that once a week. That's a good tension reliever. Uh, No, I function pretty well. I mean, physically, you know, I've got the aches and pains just from doing weird stuff all my life, but uh, nothing other than that. Mm.
0: Do you do any body work for yourself?
1: I do. uh, I exercise every morning, Uh, not enough, but I do a a quick trip to the gym, and then I try to take a walk during the afternoon. Mm. But by the way, those two things get off my schedule very quickly. (laughs) Depending on the day.
0: (laughs) I see, I see. What about sort of incorporating any type of mindfulness in your life?
1: No, don't do that.
0: No. Are you interested in doing that?
1: I've tried. uh, I'm terrible at meditating. I have found there's one aspect of walking a labyrinth or a maze, which is Mm -hmm. walking meditation. The problem is, of course, you have to go someplace and do that. But trying to meditate uh, has never worked well for me.
0: Would you like to do a little um, experiment with me right now?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, just want you to get comfortable in your seat. If you feel inclined, you can close your eyes if you feel safe to do that, or you can just soften your gaze. Just want you to take three deep breaths in and three deep breaths out. I just want you to visualize all that sort of ruminating in your mind Just so picture it like an elevator so you're on the top floor with your mind and i want you to on the count of three try to go down into your belly when i go to one so three two one what's happening paul
1: well you get a relaxation in your shoulders and uh throughout the body to your stomach mm.
0: Is there any sort of prompting of any kind in your body? No. When you go into your belly, do you feel or sense anything? No. If you move into your heart, do you feel or sense anything? what's your mind saying right now
1: it's saying when is this going to be over
0: (laughs) when is this going to be over okay (laughs) you got to tell me more about that
1: it it just doesn't feel comfortable to me
0: it doesn't feel comfortable no Mm. have you always um you know you mentioned earlier that that your default is the mind but has it always served you well
1: well, when you say, serve me well, uh, obviously, choices, bad choices, and good choices. i have I have more bad choices than good choices. So I'm not mm. sure that my mind has served me well.
0: Mm. Could you resource any of the other parts of your body to serve you well in this in this um, you know, in all the things that you need to face in this life?
1: Mm. I need a more ex- an explanation of that. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, so you mentioned that your mind has served you well, and then sometimes it hasn't due to bad choices. So I asked you to sort of go and resource, you know, your belly or your heart, and you said there wasn't really much that was prompting you. So I was just wondering, is there anything that those two, you know, organs can sort of help you with in in this life?
1: I don't know that. No? Nothing comes to mind.
0: So, when you think of sort of self care just generally, what does it, like, what's your idea of self care?
1: Well, again, my concept is that if I am to take care of others, I need to take care of myself first. That gives me the, the energy, uh, the wherewithal, uh, the sustenance to actually perform my coaching opportunities and, and take care of my family. So, I recognize the need for it. Uh, it's something that I, again, I coach others to do and, and put together a program for them. And I try to put together a program for me. My problem is I don't follow it. I'm really good at the planning. It's the execution.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do you think stops you from following through?
1: I, first, other things. I am, I'm prone to reprioritizing based on what I recognize as others' needs. So where I, and and a part of that is taking care of others. I think coaching to some degree is that. So if there is, for instance, if uh, I'm planning to take a walk at six o'clock in the morning or go to the gym and I have a client who calls or indicates they need to talk, that's immediately what occurs. I put aside the plan and I move to that as a priority.
0: So what if the opposite happened? What if you put yourself as a priority that day, as as opposed to the client? What would happen?
1: Well, I'm not sure what would happen. It depends on what the client has to talk about. And until I, I, I always make the assumption that if a client contacts me out of the schedule, that it's that they need to. That there's something going on, and, and most of the time there is. Uh, otherwise, people stick to the schedule. So uh, to to do, to do not not. Prior, reprioritize and put them first would probably not it would not set well with me I would not be comfortable with that
0: mm. so what, what like tell me how would you feel how would you what would happen
1: uh, that well I would feel like I had not I was not doing my job I was not serving the needs of a client who had a need and was expressing it by wanting to talk
0: mm. do you feel like the client's needs are are top priority over yours they are and do you like it like that?
1: Well, of course, I I get back from what I do, uh, and having that attitude of being available and attempting to assist someone when they're dealing with an issue uh, is fulfilling. And if it wasn't, I guess I wouldn't do it, but it is fulfilling, and therefore it makes me feel good that I'm available and I can assist.
0: So, how do you think you could balance out, sort of, your needs with the needs of the client?
1: I don't know that. That's been our. That, that's been the problem. Is that the self, my self-care is secondary to theirs, and I recognize that I need to be more mindful of what I need. Uh, and so, I guess I could eliminate an hour of sleep so I could get my exercising.
0: So limiting hours of sleep, if I can do the math correctly, that only leaves you with three
1: hours of sleep. True, true. So no, we're not, we're not gonna do that. Uh, but, but, but other than that, I have to admit, it's a, uh, it is in my head about the, need, the needs of others. Uh, and I've not always been cognizant of that. Uh, that's not been my past. And when I made the transition uh, from being self-centered uh, to being other-centered, i developed this i guess habit or mindset about what that looked like and perhaps in my head that if i don't do it that way i'll revert back to being Mm self-centered
0: wow so basically the focus now has been other centered rather than self-centered and if you tip the scales the opposite direction you'll go back to being Mm self-centered do you think there's a happy medium between two extremes
1: so far, I haven't found it. I mean, I, I, I can, I, by the way, I can mentally accept that. I have not been able to emotionally. Mm.
0: Mm. Would you like to resource, resource your heart and see if there's a message for you there?
1: Okay, again, you're, you're talking, you're, you're saying, I hear the words, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what the words mean. Yeah,
0: just, I just want you to be silent and just, just try to focus as if you're visualizing your heart. And see if there's anything that comes up. Visualization or a message or sound sound. And see if, the, I mean, maybe nothing comes up.
1: Nothing.
0: Nothing comes up. No. That's fair. So, Paul, how do you think you can sort of rectify another area of self-care that you mentioned? You mentioned sleep as being a priority. And then you mentioned some other ones. How How do you think you can sort of make those a priority in your life?
1: That's that is the question. I don't know that I, I understand. Like I said, I can I can rationally understand the uh, the need for that balance. Mm-hmm. I just have not been able to get there emotionally. And again, I think I it is a uh, I can tell you why I think that already did that. I, I've transitioned because of my experiences uh, from being self-centered to being other-centered because I realized being self-centered was ultimately destructive for me. And uh, it led me to, to bad choices and to bad outcomes. Uh, so I get it. I, I, again, I'm not able to take the rationalization and turn it because when you refer, refer to the heart, uh, you, I immediately think emotional, mm-hmm. and that trying to get that balance between the two is something I've not been able to achieve.
0: Yeah. So in your youth, have you have you ever been other centered besides this transitional period that you've been through?
1: Sure, in my youth I was absolutely other centered because of the, uh, my parental situation. Came from a broken home, had a younger sister, and it was my obligation to take care of her. And uh, I did, and to take care of my mother in some cases. And, uh, and yeah, I was, uh, I, I, not by, by, by the way, not necessarily by choice, hmm. it was by necessity and accepted the obligations of taking care of others uh, within the family unit.
0: Mm. So then, fast forward to me. So when did when did the shift happen be, from other centered in your youth to self centered?
1: Probably when I uh, became uh, got out of the service, uh, and started working. I was by myself, uh, not connected to the family anymore, and uh, started to develop my profession as an attorney. And at that point, uh, I went from other centered to self centered.
0: Mm. And then, when did the shift happen from? the self-centered to other centered?
1: About two years into my incarceration oh, wow. is when is when the realization came to me that that I that that the way I was approaching life was destructive to myself and to others. And that, in fact, I needed to eliminate the, uh, the, the being self-centered and become more other-centered. And so, yeah, two years of incarceration. And then I spent the next three years of incarceration actually working hard at making that happen.
0: Hmm. Do you feel like you processed that experience fully?
1: Well, I think I—I I, I think I absolutely processed it fully. I'm not sure that I processed it correctly, huh. because it was not a balance. It—it it, it was one or the other, and that—that that continues to be the issue. Is that? I, apparently, I need more therapy, but 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 I've not been able to find the balance because mm. it feels to me like it is one or the other. I can't get them to mesh to where I could say no to a client rather than yes. Mm. By the way, I preach, I coach saying no mm. uh, as a part of anybody's life uh, that you need to say no that uh, otherwise. People will take advantage. They will. Uh, they will be forever attempting you to get some, you to do something you shouldn't do.
0: Hmm. What do you think some of the keys were for your survival during that time? Which time? The time in time in incarceration. And, so oh, so oh, many people right. falter.
1: Oh, uh, they do. Uh, I, and I think that uh, that for the first two years I did, uh, the first two years of incarceration was spent on revenge fantasy. Uh, how how I was going to uh, get even with all those that had uh, caused me to be incarcerated. It was only when I finally accepted responsibility for myself and my actions uh, that that I was able to make that uh, make that transition. Uh, But it took two years of, of battling the demons of revenge and being self-centered, that uh, I did not cause any of the things that happened to me, uh, even though it became apparent at some point that, that all of my uh, wounds were self-inflicted.
0: Mm. All your wounds were self-inflicted and taking yeah. responsibility. Yep. Mm. So, I don't know, do you think there's any wisdom in that, taking responsibility oh. in, right now in trying to figure out the self-care aspect of your life?
1: Absolutely, I don't. I it, it never has felt like I should be counting on someone else when it comes to self care. I think that that by its, by definition, self care, even though it requires support, is something that each individual has got to deal with.
0: Is there anyone in your life that you admire who just has this balance going on really well?
1: That's probably a no. I, mean, I think that most, most leaders struggle with this and and are, may work at it, but are very bad at it. Uh, and again, I think that if you're an effective leader, a part of that is, are you a servant leader? Mm-hmm. And the mindset of a servant leader is to do exactly that. And I do believe that people, leaders, will sacrifice themselves uh, for others. And by the way, that that's a terrible attitude. <laughs> Uh, that That's not what being a servant leader is about. It's not sacrificing yourself. It is about serving others, but, but not in a destructive fashion. And so I get, like I said, I can rationally, because I I mm-hmm. preach this, uh, I coach this, I can rationally accept this. I have not been able to apply it. Mm.
0: So, Paul, what would be like if I could, you know, snap my fingers and create that, that dream life for you where self-care has been balanced what's what does the day look like
1: uh, i would i can tell you that since it is a dream or or a fantasy i would believe that i'd be better at my job i think that that self-care does allow you to take care of others better and i would hope that that the uh the vitality or the energy that i would get from self-care would transfer itself into uh into the coaching process that those that I coached would feel that transfer of energy from me to them in a renewed fashion.
0: So this dream life of yours, if a client called, how would you handle self-care?
1: Well, uh, obviously, I I would like to say that if a client called and they were not scheduled to call, I would Mm -hmm. tell them, uh, unless this is life or death, which in business is ridiculous to say, Uh, or as I would tell people, are you on the ledge? Are Are you thinking about literally your hair's on fire and you're getting ready to jump? That would be a call that I would accept out of the schedule. But, but remember, I, it's this is not you know it's not psychiatry. Uh, I know that the that the rules for psychiatrists are pretty much that it's not the way it is in business coaching. And availability is huge for leaders, that they do need to talk. and I, I trust them to not not abuse that the the process by calling me just to say hi. <laughs> I, and that's not what happens I don't have they someone calls me like that I'm like hey we'll talk in two weeks uh, so so I I've never felt it be abused but regardless back to that the the opportunity to tell people I'm not I'm not available to talk uh, is very difficult uh, the only way that I do that is if I'm on another call so I guess I could tell people, I say, I can't do that. I'm not lying to people about, I'm not going to take your call because i want another call. Hmm. Uh, no, so I'm not sure how I get around that. I really am not. I know that it's, a, I know that it's probably required.
0: Hmm. Is there a, maybe a gentler way of saying that?
1: I don't know. I haven't come up with one. Maybe I haven't <laughs> looked hard enough. <laughs>
0: Okay, so, Paul, how can we create accountability for you now? Like, how, how do we move the needle forward so that you can, to some degree, still be there for your clients, still be that resource for them, but yet, you know, make yourself a priority as well?
1: Don't know that. Uh, I actually, because I'm a list guy, I'm looking at self-rules that I've put together, and they have, <laughs> I can tell you what, what they are, they have exercise every morning, walk every morning, no fast food, uh, and then I have a variety of other items that are uh, work-related. But I plug that into my self-rules, and I believe that if you have self-rules, you, you need to abide by them. So I understand what they are, I just violate them. And I'm not sure what I can do about that, I, seriously, I've, I've thought long and hard because I, I think there's an advantage to it uh, for both myself uh, and my, uh, my clients and my family. Uh, but but the reality is that uh, I'm stuck. I'm stuck with this this attitude about if I do that, then that's a bad thing.
0: If I do that, then it's a bad thing,
1: and it who's if and,
0: I and who's considering it a bad thing?
1: I am. I'm not sure the clients do or don't, I don't know that, but it would depend on the client. I think that they would be disappointed uh, if in fact they needed to talk and I was not taking their call. Uh, but I, every client is different. Uh, some might not be as disappointed as others. But but uh, but yeah, I would be disappointed in myself.
0: How could you change that narrative?
1: Not sure, I, I don't know. That's why we're having the conversation is that I'd, I am aware, uh, again, I am, you know, I, I tell clients uh, there there is a, a mindset that says I'm aware but I don't care, and that's where I'm at with this. Uh, I am aware of the situation, but I can't get myself to care enough to do to do what's necessary. I suppose and necessary is probably saying no, and I can't get my head there.
0: What What do you think would happen if you if you said no?
1: Oh, I have no idea. Again, I think that that my clients would be disappointed. uh, But I also would would suffer that as a disappointment uh, for myself. Mm. That I was not there when they needed me.
0: If you created like parameters for when you're available, how do you think they would react?
1: There are parameters. I mean, we schedule two weeks, every other week is the scheduled time to talk. Uh, If you're saying create a parameter which says I'm not available until, even if you have an emergency, I'm not available until 8 o'clock. I'm not sure. Hmm.
0: Is that worth trying?
1: Anything's worth trying, (laughs) (laughs) Savio. Seriously, it is. When you have a problem and you're seeking an answer, uh, you you need to explore all possibilities. Uh, That's maybe one that would work. Of saying unavailable until 8 a.m. Hmm. The problem, of course, I can always come up with a reason not to do that. <laughs> by the way, because I have a national because I have a national coaching uh, process or hmm. uh, practice, uh, it, the guy on the east coast has a different eight than the guy at the west uh-huh. coast. So, so I, I'm not exactly sure whether it would be. I don't know, that, that, that has its own logistics issues tied into it, uh, and I may be making more of those than, uh, than necessary. Other than that, I don't know, I, and by the way, I believe in setting boundaries. I think that there have to be boundaries set. Uh, the question, of course, is that I am not able to set that type of a boundary. I haven't been able to yet. Would
0: you be open to a resource? Oh, sure. Yeah, so what about using um, Things like AI or something where there's an automated sort of response to when they call or when they contact you that still alerts you, but prioritizes the alert for you so that you can pick and choose what you want.
1: Not a bad idea. Does, does such a thing exist?
0: It does, yeah. There's uh, obviously the ones that people use on websites like Intercom and there's other ones that you know I could refer you to as well.
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: So, Paul, we talked a lot about sort of, I don't know, the sort of idea of self-care and sort of saying no and how that sort of works in your life now and how you prioritize your clients versus yourself and sort of knowing exactly what you know you should do but don't really practice. How does this all sort of shake up with you right now in terms of, like, moving forward?
1: Well, I right now i have no problem moving forward i'm not sure that there's a solution to the issue i guess again as i said i did it jokingly but maybe there's some some truth to that perhaps it does require therapy to uh unbind this uh this mindset about it's either one way or the other there's no there's no middle area you'd like to think there was some middle area uh, but no
0: and then like with the sleep if it was sort of increased it. To- six hours or eight hours, do you think you would be more productive?
1: Uh, probably six hours, eight hours sounds like too much sleep. <laughs> <laughs> six hours maybe, I think I, it's very possible, yeah. yeah.
0: And have, have you looked into any you know, nutritional supplements or any sort of additives that can help you gain that?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. No.
0: Would you be interested in looking into that? Sure, Yeah. of course. Excellent, Paul. So we've discussed a lot. I mean, how does this, you know, how does this all feel?
1: It feels all right. Yeah, sounds like there might be a couple of things I could look into that I haven't thought about before. So that's always a good sign.
0: Okay. Excellent. Well, Paul, we're pretty much at the end of this sort of coaching portion. So I want to transition into the interview. So tell my audience more about you.
1: Sure. Uh, I, uh, I bill myself as the no BS workplace performance coach. I'm not a life coach. Uh, I work exclusively with businesses and uh, individual entrepreneurs who need to move from where they are to where they want to be. Uh, and so my process is all about that. And the no BS uh, actually is probably a reflection of skill sets. Uh, I have a rather checkered, checkered history that led me to coaching. Uh, I was a union organizer, and uh, early on in my life, and that's led me to, uh, because union organizing is, is if people say that you're selling it. You're not really oh. selling union, or you're not selling unionization. What you are selling is a concept, an idea. And the ability to do that and do it successfully is a skill set because you have to show a vision. You have to have a purpose. And uh, everybody thinks that unionization is about money. Seldom is it about money. It's about treatment. It's about how people feel in the workplace. Are they respected? So, so the ability to understand what is required to generate purpose, is a skill set that i have developed just because of my past and i'm able to bring to the coaching process because leaders often uh, know what they want their vision to be but have difficulty communicating it to the employees and you need to align the employees everyone who uh, who works with you on achieving your vision and so that's a part of what i do i bring that skill set there and i'm able to help people formulate and implement the communication process of their vision Uh, so that was the first part of my career the second part of my career was i became a uh a labor employment lawyer and practiced trial work in the city of chicago so uh, i tell people that's where i sharpened my bullshit antenna (laughs) because because I never had a client that would tell me the truth. Uh, that's wow. normal, by the way. All oh, clients refuse to tell you the truth. Wow. Uh, well, first, they want you to think the best of them. Huh? And they want, because in their mind, that means you will relate to them in a more positive fashion. And therefore, you will defend them more robustly. Well, that's not true, but it doesn't matter. It's how they look at it. And so uh, I developed a, a real good BS antenna, and that's actually essential when dealing with successful people because, because successful people either don't know what their weaknesses or blind spots are, or if they do, they don't want to admit them. And as I engage in the coaching process, I'm alert to their defensiveness or their their attempt to hide what they need to address. And what I get paid to do is tell people the truth as I see it. Not the truth as they see it or anybody else see it, but the truth as I see it. And when I see the truth that they are hiding something or have a blind spot that they refuse to look at, then it's my obligation as their coach to point that out. And then to work with them to, to overcome that. To over, not, I've often found that, that, that the blind spots are that area where the self-inflicted wound comes to play. If we don't see it, we don't know how to avoid it. Uh, then if we do see it, we need to know what to do about it. Because successful people are the most difficult to uh, coach. You say, we need to make you better, and one of their resistance, by the way, everybody is good at the beginning about saying, I'm absolutely committed to the process, and yes, I recognize I have to get better, until the work begins. And at some point, the work becomes hard, Otherwise, they would do it on their own. Uh, successful people usually try to do the most of it on their own. It's when they realize they can't move from where they are to where they need to be without assistance that they seek a coach. Uh, again, it's not psychiatry, right? I'm not delving into their mother and their father's relationship. I'm delving into performance and the improvement of performance is 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 our is our conversation. So. I, I'm able to do that first by recognizing the BS, calling out the BS. So that gets me, that's my, my, third, uh, my third area here, right? I've got my, well, my second, I've got my uh, organizing skill set, I've got my attorney skill set, and then I go to prison for five and a half years. Wow. Uh, and, and the reason I went to prison is because I had the mindset of a successful leader. I was running a labor organization at the time uh, as a vice president of a team store organization. And uh, I committed a variety of white collar crimes. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, as I tell, I, I, the, the concept of hubris, pride. Uh, is huge in people who are successful because they are successful. And they're expected to show a certain perspective. They're not supposed to be vulnerable. They're not supposed to be empathetic. They're not supposed to show weaknesses. Well, that develops a mindset where you start believing it. And then you become a narcissist. And narcissism is rampant uh, amongst uh, leaders just because they've, they've been forced... To focus so myopically on how to be successful that it becomes who they are in their head and how they present themselves, and that's where I was at. I was the smartest guy in the room, according to me, and uh, and I was I, I had uh, I had that attitude that uh, it was my way or the highway. Uh, I knew what was right, no one else did. All you had to do was do what I tell you and things would be fine. And if, I, if, if, I, if you had an opinion, it would be one I gave you. I didn't want to hear somebody else's opinion. So I had all of those characteristics and I believe that many leaders, not all, but many leaders share those same characteristics. There was actually a study that came out a few years ago that the personality of, uh, of a CEO of a, five, a Fortune 500 CEO and a uh, serial killer were the same. Huh? so oh yeah it, those traits those traits are there uh, so I understand by the way it, it's self-destructive and, and it's also destructive to others it's also destructive to the organization and if you value the organization and you value others and you value yourselves you need to divest yourself of that approach of that that, that mindset not really it's personality as much as mindset I didn't And to show you how arrogant I was, uh, I was found guilty, and uh, I was in front of the judge being sentenced. And in the federal sentencing guidelines, there is an opportunity to have your sentence reduced by 18 months if you accept responsibility for your crimes. You're standing in front of the judge, he's gonna sentence you, and he will ask you, Will you accept responsibility for your crimes? Now, remember, this is an 18-month reduction in sentence. My answer was no. (laughs) Of course, that isn't that. I, I look back on it at that person, and I go, "How arrogant could you be to have been found guilty, to know you're going to prison, and yet not reduce your sentence by by absolutely acknowledging your wrongdoing?" Uh, this is, this is by the way, and, and as much as I would like to think that's rare, it's not. One more example of that is Saddam Hussein. Here's a guy who controlled a country, who was a dictator, and the only thing he had to admit was he didn't have weapons of mass destruction. By the way, he didn't. And yet he would never admit that, and they hunted him down and hung him. He never he never would accept responsibility or admit that he was weak. So so I bring that as a skill set because I was I, I am that perfect example of self-inflicted wounds yeah. and hubris. So in the coaching process, when I'm when I'm coaching a leader, I am able to recognize those traits and have that discussion based on personal experience. And make sure that it has the impact necessary to help a person first recognize those issues and then deal with them. Because I did, it took two years of incarceration. And by the way, I don't recommend that process. <laughs> I truly <laughs> believe that you need to you need to not be as slow a learner as I was. Hmm. Uh, but I also tell people that prison saved my life. Hmm. There is absolutely no question in my mind that I would have died early on if I hadn't gone to prison, wow. just because of who I was and the lifestyle and the people I associated with. So I've taken those and I put them together under what I think is a unique skill set when it comes to coaching. First it's all about outcome. I'm not willing to accept the fact that you can't get there as long as you're willing to commit to the work. I now become your accountability partner because I believe that coaches need to hold people accountable. Uh, And also, I put my skin in the game. My coaching process first is no shorter than a year because I absolutely realize how long it takes to move from here to there. It's not a month. It's not three months. I found that a year will will get us there. Uh, The second thing is 50% of my compensation is based on a positive outcome. If at the end of that 12 months, the client is not happy with the outcome, I don't receive that compensation. I call that what everybody does, skin in the game. <laughs> uh, and I find that if you don't have skin in the game, you have a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, one of the things is that, that I, as your accountability partner, as we work our way through the action plan we've set to achieve the goal that you tell me you want to achieve. I never tell anyone what their goals should be. They will tell me. I will test that to make sure that it's legitimate Uh, and that's easy enough to do. Some people make up goals because they think it's what somebody wants to hear. You know, I don't wanna hear, I wanna be a better person. You need to talk to someone else, not me. Uh, If if you wanna be a better communicator, if you wanna be better at conflict management, if you have a hard goal, I will help you get there, assist. Uh, And then we put that together and we work on it mutually. Every other week we have a call And one of three things will happen in that call. You'll either tell me you're going to quit, which is fine because I don't have anything that says you've got to stay in the program. But if you quit, you pay me in full. Once you've committed, you need to stick with it. And I have to have something there that requires you to do so other than your your self-determination because people, the work gets hard. And when the work gets hard, there has to be some motivation beside yourself. And I recognize internal motivation is better than any other motivation, but it doesn't hurt to have somebody nudge you, (laughs) keep you going, you create momentum. Uh, And so you'll either tell me you're gonna quit, which I'm like, okay, good to know, write me the check. Uh, The second thing is you're gonna tell me you did whatever we agreed you were gonna do because every two weeks has an action step that needs to be taken and we un- we talk about that we, we look at what it means and then implementation of course is entirely on the client I cannot implement the plan uh, I'm not there that's fantastic you get hugs yeah. right?
0: there's there's and, so uh, many great so many great things you mentioned there I, I wanted to sort of ask you with like sure. sort of this element of like young leaders how do you think a young leader who just starting out, cannot make the same mistakes what do you think is necessary or needed
1: I think the, I think the first thing they need to do is get a coach who has some experience or a mentor you, you can't do this because you believe me if you've not walked the path you don't know the path and I understand everybody goes well my path's going to be different uh, I, I do uh, I do uh, pro bono speaking to law students. And when I tell them about my experience, the first thing that they look at, they look at me and they go, well, that's not me. Well, when I, when I graduated from law school, that was not me either. I was an idealist. I was going to help, help people. I was going to, to practice law for the benefit of others. No, I didn't come here saying, I think I'm going to loot the pension fund. <laughs> Uh, That's not how it goes. What happens is there's a transition and if you're not aware of the transition, it occurs. Uh, Lawyers are extraordinarily arrogant. They're expected to be. They're expected to have all the answers. And as you become successful, you become even more arrogant. And then you start to believe you deserve. And if you start to believe you deserve, then you start to do things so that you get what you deserve. Uh, There is a pattern to this, and I have 10 steps that I go over the law students with. And I tell them, you're looking at me saying, well, that'll never be me. I hope not. But let me tell you that it could be you. So what you need to do is understand the perils of every journey to wherever you want to go. And you can't do that because you don't know what they are unless someone talks to you about them. Unless someone says, here's something to beware of. How about this, here's an associate you need to stay away from. Because that person is not doing you well. And if you continue to hang with the wrong people, I guarantee you, something bad's gonna happen to you. It's, it's guaranteed. Because you will want to fit in. I, I tell people, I was a bad guy wannabe. I hung around with bad guys because that was what I wanted to be. They found me, I found them. And also, you need to know your blind spots because other people see them. And they will take advantage of your blind spots for their advantage. So I absolutely believe that at the very beginning of your career, you need to seek out someone who has traveled a similar path and have them there for advice. If nothing, if it's a mentor, that's fantastic. I think a coach is even better, but most young people are like, I can't afford a coach. Well, you don't know whether or not your company wouldn't provide that. How about if you explore the opportunity? Uh, Or find yourself a trusted advisor. They're there, we don't seek them out. So that would be the first thing I would say is, don't count on yourself as you start your journey of professionalism.
0: Has there been a book that has shaped your worldview in a positive way?
1: a book hmm. I'm an avid reader if you were to ask me that I would probably have to go back to uh, to philosophy and psychology uh, I read a lot of that and I also did religious studies while I was in prison something I never explored before uh, but I couldn't right now I could not uh, pull up a book
0: yeah so any last pieces of advice for just you know listeners out there to sort of be on the straight and narrow but you know not so fall into the pitfalls of uh, of, you know, temptation and, and everything else that the world <laughs> gives us on a well, day-to-day I mean, basis.
1: It does, and by the way, the, the, the concept of, of emotional intelligence is all grounded in the fact that before we can be anything to others, we need to know ourselves. And mm-hmm. we don't spend time doing that. Uh, I, I, my, my contention, even though I don't meditate, I reflect. Huh. I believe at the, at the end of every week, you need to reflect. You need to look at the good things and the bad things that happened and make some decisions about, was that, did you do the right thing, did you do the wrong thing? I also believe that every morning starts with gratitudes. If you don't recognize how good your life is, you can be lulled into believing it's not. And once we believe our life is not good, we will look for a way to make it good. And that's when we start doing things that we shouldn't do, associating with people we shouldn't associate with. So my contention is you start the day with gratitudes uh, and, and you pay attention to those. You know, when I walk to Starbucks at five o'clock in the morning, I'm saying my gratitudes. Uh, and, and at the end of the evening, I say my gratitude. Some people say prayer. I'm okay with whatever you want to label it. You just need to recognize how, well, how good your life is. And it is. Uh, And then that reflection at the end of the week. First I I truly believe in keeping a notebook Uh, and during the day you write down whatever's happening to you and and in your life because we often forget the good because the bad is always in front of us. Uh, But at some point you need reflection because reflection gives you the opportunity to correct your course. Those would be the two things. Be grateful and reflect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I like those two tenets. And then also what you just displayed today, which was honesty, just being really truthful about your past experiences and just owning it and trying to get better, which I really loved. So where can my audience find you on the internet?
1: I'm easily found uh, paul at paulglovercoaching.com if you want to email me. And also on LinkedIn, Paul Glover Coaching. And because I appreciate what you do and I appreciate your coaching, uh, anyone who does contact me from your audience, I will, I will be more than happy to arrange a 15-minute coaching call. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much for that offer. Absolutely. Excellent
0: well, Paul, this was definitely eye-opening. I really thank you for just, just being in the moment and being present. So I, that's really, really refreshing. So thank you so much.
1: And Salvio, thank you so much for the opportunity. Like I said, I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your approach. And and I know your audience does too. So I wish you good things.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Paul. Take care. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.